Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Man, there's so much to be uh, grateful for, so much to be thankful for as I'm sitting there listening uh, as we go through offering and go through announcements and and hear about all that uh, God is doing in the church, whether it's life groups, whether it's financial peace and some of our our young adults being excited. Um, You know, I know these two young individuals and and, uh, they're kind of their first jobs and just like Gary said, starting early on some of those things. Uh, thinking about our youth hanging out, going out, thinking about uh, just what's coming up ahead, our, our women being used to, to minister to others. It's just, uh, it's just good to be a part of the church. Amen? Amen. It's good to be a part of, of what God is doing and uh, being able to, to be a witness. Sometimes it's hard, but we need to take a deep breath and uh, open our eyes and say, okay, God, remind me of who you are, remind me of what you're doing, what you've already done. I was, I was talking in my office with somebody this morning about um, why God um, sets up memorial stones or tells us to set up memorial stones to be able to look back and say, look at what you've done, Lord. Uh, look at where you've brought us from. Look at who I used to be and who I am today. And uh, we just believe that we'll look back on today and be able to say the same thing. Like, Lord, look at where we are now. Look at what you've done now. Look at, look at who you've brought. Look at who you've changed. So God is just good. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So this morning, the, the title of the message is Two Kingdoms. Say two. two. Say kingdoms. kingdoms. All right. So we're going to look at two kingdoms. Our focus is going to be on religiousness and comparing it to being a spirit-filled believer as part of a spirit-filled church, right? There's two different kingdoms. What the world does when it's completely opposed to God is it attempts to accomplish a type of spiritual alchemy. An alchemist tries to mix things that are not precious uh, and not valuable and create something that is precious, create something that is valuable. So an alchemist will take lead, and try to turn it into gold. You add to it, you mix it, you heat it up, you cool it down, you try to do all these things to make it more valuable than it actually is. Those who deny God mix all types of thoughts together, with all types of feelings together, with all types of worldviews together, and they try to create a spirituality without God. Does that make sense? You see the alchemist? Here's how I think, here's how I feel, Here's my view of the world and of people and of right and of wrong. And I'm going to try to make spirituality out of that without God. There's no value there. There's nothing precious there. But I want to create something that's valuable and something that's precious. Many of us know people like that in the world. And don't tell anybody, but many of us used to be people like that in the world. And we just thought we were so wise and so smart and people should follow us. And we should tell people how to think and how to feel. Uh, something I think a lot of us are familiar with. But that's the world. We're not going to be talking about the world today. We're going to be talking about religious folks and then spirit-filled church folks. So the religious person knows that God is real. So rather than trying to deny him, they have a tendency still, though, to do the exact same thing. Instead of saying there is no God and I'm going to create this whole thing, what they say is, oh, no, there's definitely a God, but I'm still going to go with my own thoughts, (laughs) my own views, my own worldview, my own feelings when I create my spirituality, but I'm going to sprinkle some gold flakes into the mix. <laughs> Think about that for a second, right? 
It's really no different. What they say is, what I'm going to do is think the same way I used to think, act the same way I used to act, uh, look at the world the same way I used to look at the world, be run by my emotions and my feelings just like I used to be, but now I'm going to sprinkle a bunch of gold flakes of going to church every week on top of that. Now I'm going to sprinkle some gold flakes of a scripture here and a scripture there on top of that. You see how it's the same foundation, the same problem though, right? What we end up with is on a Sunday morning all around the world, you end up with two kingdoms. This morning, hopefully we can shed some light on uh, the differences so that we can determine which kingdom are we a part of? Which king are we actually serving? Are we serving the true king and the true kingdom, or are we sprinkling gold flakes on our own kingdoms? I had a picture this morning uh, of us building our own kingdoms from the rubble of God's kingdom. We come to church, and many of us, not just here, not just in this church, I'm talking about God's church worldwide. We come to church, and many of us, We say with our mouths, your will be done, your kingdom come, right? But with our hearts and with our actions, we all come in with these spiritual uh, sledgehammers and we start breaking his kingdom down, breaking his kingdom down. Your will be done, Lord. Your kingdom come, Lord, but we're tearing down the kingdom and then we take little pieces of the rubble with us so we can go build our kingdom when we go home this week. What a picture, huh? This is John chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The Passover is coming. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's uh, Easter time, so just a couple weeks here. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Stop there for one second. There's all these people in the church being religious, doing church, saying this is the house of God, this is the will of God, right? But what they've actually done is they've torn down the house of God and they've torn down the kingdom of God and they've built their own from the rubble. Jesus comes in, he says, no, how can this be? Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. The religious people tear down his work, tear down his kingdom, tear down his temple, build our own with the rubble, And Jesus says, I've come to tear down what you've been building. And I'm going to rebuild it the way that I intended it to be all along. Imagine Jesus comes into the church and he sees all these religious people like he did on this particular day at the Passover time, just like Passover is coming for us. And he says, listen, what you've broken down and rebuilt in your own image, you've rebuilt it, your own kingdom. You're using gold flakes and little pieces of the rubble of my kingdom to build what you want to call spiritual and call godly and call my house. It's not that. I'm going to tear it down and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we've come into this place this morning and with our mouths we've opened them and we've sung unto you, Lord God. With our hands, we've, we've reached into what you've given us and we've given back to you, Lord. We've said, let your will be done and let your kingdom come, Lord. But you are the God who searches the hearts this morning. We ask that you would come into this place afresh and anew, that you would come to each and every one of us and search our hearts, Lord God. If we've been building our own kingdoms, Lord, in a religious way, 
We ask that we would be able to hear your voice say unto each and every one of us, destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days, I will do. We want to be built upon you. We want to be built upon your word, Lord. We don't want to be spiritual alchemists. We don't want to have some of you, but most of us, Lord God. We want all of you and for us to just disappear into your goodness and into your love, into your change and into your transformation, Lord. We want the church, we want our lives to be what you intended them to be, Lord. We know that you come to us, Lord, in love. You come to us with grace and you come to us with mercy, Lord God. We open to you this morning as a church, as the way, Lord God, as a body of believers, as part of your worldwide church, Lord, but also we open to you as individuals, Lord. Truly, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So I, I think this video is so interesting and, and uh, so fitting for this morning. So one of the things that, the first thing that stood out to me is that she said, necessity is the mother of all invention. If you need something, you're gonna figure out how to get it. Somebody say amen. amen. Another thing uh, that stood out to me is that they're called the silver homes. <laughs> but what are they made out of? 
Trash. Sounds a lot like alchemy, doesn't it? <laughs> so here's the issue. Initially, it doesn't seem like much. What a great idea. We're going to take the trash. We're going to help the environment. We're going to build houses for people that don't have houses, that lost them in disasters and, and dramatic circumstances. We're going to be able to provide for the poor. All that is amazing. But when you apply that same principle, which most people do to our spirituality, then we have a problem. Because a necessity is the mother of all invention, right? I, there's a hole in my heart that only God can fill, so I'm going to invent a God. I'm going to make him. Amen. There's a need that I see in the world, so I'm going to fill it. This is what we do as a church too often, and we become part of the wrong kingdom. Because what we say is, I'm going to deconstruct or destroy or break down what God says is his intended plan, and I'm going to create my own. It's going to be trash, but I'm going to wrap it in silver. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, verse 14 this morning. It says, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is how we ended last Sunday. Then the Pharisees, before I even read this to you, last Sunday, remember, we talked about the wedding feast, right? And who was invited and who didn't show up. And then we went out to the highways and byways and got all of you guys. <laughs> and me too. And we got called and we got invited and we're sitting there, and, and hopefully this Wednesday night in your life groups, we talked about why it is that we have the proper wedding garments on, and we're allowed to be there. We're called to be there. Just after that, it picks up, verse 14, many are called, but few are chosen. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. They sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God and truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they had all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Stop there, verse 40. Amen? Amen. Don't we love when Jesus teaches? Yes. <laughs> Point number one this morning, building on a broken foundation. Building on a broken foundation. Verse 16 and 17, they come to Jesus and they say, we know that you are true. We know that you teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. So tell us, therefore... 
Think about this for a second. They come to Jesus and they say, here's what we know. Now tell us, therefore, here's our foundation. Here's what we've already built. Here's our worldview. Here's our way of thinking. Now that you see what we've already built, tell us, therefore, something more than what we already know. What do they really know? What do you really know this morning? They said, we know that you are true. That's true. Somebody say amen. amen. They said, we know that you teach the word of God in truth. That's true. Somebody say amen. amen. But then they said, you don't care about anyone and you don't regard the person of men. So what we want you to do is, we're going to tell you what we know, which is half true and half lie, and then we want to say, therefore, because of this and from this, now we want you to help us build on top of this foundation. So often, we're so wrong, but we want God to build on a broken foundation. How crazy is it to come to God, you tell half truth, half lie, and then you say, now tell me more so I can build on this. Give me revelation so I can build on this. He will not do that because he knows it's going to come crashing down. He will not help you and give you supplies and give you resources and give you materials to build on a foundation that is going to come crumbling down. That's a terrible investment. Hopefully some of these people in uh, financial peace learned about this, right? You don't invest into things that are crumbling and falling apart. Amen. If a company is about to go under, why would you invest into that company? <laughs> why would you go work for that company? You know, I, I think I told you guys a few weeks back about some things that were going on in, in uh, my workplace. And one of the most frustrating things about the whole process is that they were hiring people that were leaving other jobs and coming to this company, and then within two weeks of being hired, they tell everybody that you're only gonna have a job for another couple of months. So if they knew that that was gonna happen, they would have never come to the company, right? However, the, the heads of the company knew they were gonna do that, and they still allowed these people to get hired. It's so wrong. We can get so angry and say, why would you hire them knowing that you were only gonna give them temporary employment when they had good jobs that they could have stayed at? But the worst part is, that's how we live our lives a lot of times, is we know that it's not a good investment and we do it anyway. We know that the foundation is crumbling and we keep trying to build on top of it. Ooh, you can get mad at the owners of the company for doing it, but we should be looking at ourselves and saying, why are we building on such a terrible foundation? First Corinthians 5, 6 says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? They're coming to, to Jesus saying, hey, teacher, we know that you teach the truth, you teach the word of God, but you know that you don't really care about anybody. <laughs> a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You can be right about a good amount of stuff when it comes to God and church and spirituality, but if you're wrong about some stuff too, that little bit of wrong is going to ruin all the good. It's going to make the foundation crumble at some point. It's like a virus. It's like a disease. It's going to infect everything else. This is Job chapter 4, verse 17. It says, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If God puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay? whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. Building on a broken foundation, guys. Little leaven leavens the whole lump. We are not God. We don't have wisdom. We can't come to God and make these kind of claims like these men did. We know that you're true. You teach the word of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone and you do not regard the person of men. God says, I love everyone. Yep. 
and you are the greatest of all of my creations. It's easy for us to see how wrong they are. 50-50, that leaven's gonna leaven the whole lump. But what about in our lives? Like, what things are we very wrong about? <laughs> what leaven is gonna leaven our whole lump? What inconsistencies in our foundation are gonna cause the whole thing to come crash, crashing down? So number two, I wanna look at the Pharisees. Building on a broken foundation, number two, this group called the Pharisees, they are the religious leaders, or we would call them the head alchemist. <laughs> so there's always a problem if you have blind leaders, right? There's a problem if you have leaders who are trying to create something without God because then you have followers who will try to create something without God. Amen. The Pharisees are the religious rulers. They are the leaders. They are the priests. They are the pastors. They are the teachers. They are the ministry leaders. They're the ones that are teaching the people and, and, and leading the people. And this is how it starts in verse 15, Matthew 22. It says, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might entangle Jesus in his talk. This is, the, this is how they, they set up their, their movement as a church, their movement for the people. Let's get that teacher, let's get that Jesus, and let's entangle him in his talk. In his talk. Verse 16, they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God and truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? First thing I want to say about the Pharisees, and these are supposed to be leaders, they send their disciples to Jesus to ask him this question, right? When we see Jesus coming onto the scene and he walks to where John the Baptist is, John says, Behold the Lamb of God. That's the one I can't tie his sandal straps. That's the one you should be following. He tells his disciples at that time, Get away from me and go follow Jesus. This is the one we've been waiting for. But Jesus has been on the scene teaching and preaching and leading and healing for three years at this point, and the Pharisees still have their own disciples. Are you being discipled unto Christ or are you being discipled unto man? Are you being discipled at all? Amen. Jesus says to them, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Romans chapter 2 verse 1 tells us a little bit about hypocrites. It says, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. What it means to be a hypocrite is somebody that looks out at others and says, I'm going to judge you for what you're doing, but in secret they are doing the same thing. That makes you hypocritical. If you are going to judge and hold people accountable for doing something and living in a particular way and you're doing the exact same thing, but maybe it's in secret, not out in the open, you're a hypocrite. If you're going to tell people to read and you don't read, you're a hypocrite. If you're going to tell people to pray and you don't pray, you're a hypocrite. If you're going to tell people to help and you don't help others, you're a hypocrite. If you're going to tell people to love and you don't love others, you're a hypocrite. The Pharisees and the Herodians that it talks about in our, our uh, scripture this morning, they hated the Roman rulers. Think back to the Bible times and, and when Jesus was on the scene, um, the Israelites are subjugated underneath Roman rule. They have this authority over them. They get taxed by them. All these things are, are taking place. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they hate these Romans. They hate the rule. They hate the fact that they're not free. Right? They want to rule themselves. The Pharisees represent the church. So who do you think they want to rule Israel? The church. They want them to be a theocracy where God rules, God reigns. They have their own independence, and it's led by the leaders of the church, by the high priests, by the Levites, so on and so forth. The Herodians are a sect of people who love King Herod. He's the ruler that, that's set in place over Israel by the Romans, right? The Romans say, hey, look, we are going to govern everything, but we don't really need to be intimately involved with you. We have different cultures. We're going to set up a king. His name is King Herod, and he's going to rule over you guys and report to us. The Herodians want Roman to, the Romans to disappear and King Herod to rule and reign over, uh, over Israel. But look at what they're trying to do here. They're hypocrites because they don't like Rome. They don't like the Roman rule. They don't want to pay taxes. But what they try to do is get Jesus to say that they shouldn't pay taxes to Rome so they can accuse him and judge him and have him crucified. 
Can you see what's happening here? Somebody say amen. amen. They come to him with this question, should we pay taxes? And Jesus says, you hypocrites. <laughs> this is Luke chapter 23, verse 1. It says, the whole multitude of them arose and led Jesus to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding us to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. We'll get here when we get to, to Easter and Good Friday and some of the stuff that's coming up. But look at what's happening. This is Matthew 22 we're talking about this morning where Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites talking to me about taxes. And in just a little while, they're going to accuse him to Rome, saying this guy is the one out here telling us that we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. They're hypocrites. The crazy thing is that they're judging him and accusing him for doing what they actually are doing in secret. And he hasn't actually done it. It'd be one thing if, if he's just saying, you're a hypocrite because you're judging me for doing something that you're doing in secret, and we're both guilty. But they're hypocrites for judging him for something that he's not doing, but they are doing. A false accusation is actually what gets Jesus crucified. And the people that accuse them are actually the ones who are guilty. You know that sometimes people make false accusations, but they really think the person is guilty? Like, that's who I saw that robbed the store. That's who I saw that did the hit and run. They think that's who they saw, but it's actually a false accusation because the person's innocent. They're just mistaken. This is not like that. These are the people that actually did the hit and run. These are the people that actually did rob the store, and they're making a false accusation against this person. You want to know what makes it even crazier? Jesus' whole message is that he came for the guilty. Like, you're the ones, you're making a false accusation of me, even though you're guilty, but my whole message is, I came for the guilty. <laughs> so let's listen to what Jesus' answer is to their question, after he calls them hypocrites. He still has an answer. Verse 18. He perceived their wickedness, and he said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. I want to say something real quick because it's just burning inside of me. As I was listening to Carmelo testify about tithe and offering, and I was listening to the people talk about financial peace, and now we're looking at Caesar and these taxes. You know, so many people struggle with giving God 10% of what they get. You know that you give the government 30% of what you get? They tax you just like Caesar is taxing the Israelites. I don't never hear anybody say, I refuse to pay taxes to Uncle Sam. It's my money and it doesn't belong to him. 30% of what I've earned is going to be given to him. No, you give it to him without even saying anything about it. And then you complain because God is asking for too much. It's ridiculous. And this is what Jesus has to say about it. Give it to me. Show me. Is that Abraham Lincoln on that? Who, who's on your money? Well, then give it to them. Give them 30% so you have roads to drive on. Give them 30% so you have a military to protect you. Give them 30% so you have lights in your neighborhood. Give them 30% so you have police to police the neighborhood and take care of you and make sure it's safe. It's their money. They created it. It's their nation. Go ahead. Give it to them. Whose inscription is on it? Caesar's? Then render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. He created it. He put a picture of himself on that coin. It should be returned to him. But all the way back in Genesis, chapter 1. Somebody say the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Caesar made coins and he put his image on it and then it should be returned to him. God says, I made you. I put my image on you and you should be returned to me. All the things that we get from a nation that taxes us, 
That's why we don't complain about our taxes, even though some of us do complain. But man, all the things that we get from God, we should not be complaining about God. They don't even compare. We should be trying to figure out how is it possible that we live in a world where we give more to a government and to taxes and to a nation and to a community and to our mortgage and to our rent, whatever it is. How is it possible we live in a world that we give more to those things than we do to God? That should be the big question. I like that Jesus uses the word render. He said, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. I thought to myself, what's the difference between the word surrender and render? I feel like to surrender is to passively give up. Passive means like you you didn't really, um, passive is not active. It's like it just kind of happened. It's more of a surrendering than anything else. You could surrender your civil rights. You could surrender ownership of something. The idea is that you're sure you're not going to be victorious, so you surrender. Right? So you've got, let's say, a minority group of African Americans who are being killed, lynched, water hosed, and it's like surrender. We're tired of our families being killed. <laughs> We're tired of being oppressed by the people who are supposed to be protecting us. We're not going to be victorious. You have somebody who's running from the police, like I have in my past life. And you run as hard as you can, you run as fast as you can, you turn left, you turn right, but eventually you get cornered, and what do you do? You surrender. You put your hands up and you say, I'm obviously not going to be victorious. (laughs) So I surrender. You are running in your life, through life. Mistake after mistake, problem after problem, situation after situation, and all of a sudden you're cornered, and it's just you and the cross. And what do you do? You put your hands up, and you surrender. That's what it means to surrender. But that's not really the word that Jesus used here, is it? He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. I think rendering's a little bit different. I feel like it's to actively seek the rightful owner and restore to them what's theirs. You see the difference? Whose money is that? Whose face is on it? Oh, it's Caesar's. Well, then you need to actively seek Caesar and render unto him what he is the rightful owner of. You need to render unto God. You need to actively seek him and give him the things that he is the rightful owner of. This isn't, I've been put into a corner, I'm not going to be victorious, therefore I surrender. This is, I am looking for the rightful owner so that I can render unto them what belongs to them. See, I remember surrendering my life to Jesus and finding mercy, finding forgiveness, finding salvation. But I was out of breath and I was beat. (laughs) Anybody remember that when you surrendered to Jesus? But every day that I've come to Jesus since then, I'm rendering to God what's actually his. I'm not beat and have no other options and I surrender. No, I've already done that once. (laughs) Now I render to him what's rightfully his. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, Paul says, listen, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you, men and women of God. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He says, present your life and your body unto God. Don't surrender it because you have no other options. (laughs) Render it unto God. Present it to him. Hey, Lord, I've learned that this belongs to you. I've learned that your image is upon this. I've been seeking you to give you what you deserve. I didn't come in here to worship because I was forced. I came to render unto you what you deserve. The Pharisees, the spiritual alchemists, the religious leaders, and this is what they're talking about and how they're dealing with God. Next group, number three, is the Sadducees. 
They say it ain't fair, you see, but it is sad, you see. <laughs> the Pharisees and Sadducees. So number three, the Sadducees. First, building on a broken foundation. Number two, the Pharisees. And number three, the Sadducees. The Sadducees are politically driven religious people. Very intelligent, but they've got one foot in the church and the other in high society. You know, many of us at some point maybe had one foot in the church and one foot in the world, so we can recognize that. But this is a different level of that. This is one foot in the church, but at the top of the church. You're talking popes and cardinals. And one foot in high society. You're talking highest levels of government, highest levels of wealth, highest levels of resources. That's what the, Fer or excuse me, the Sadducees would have been in this time, where they would have had sway and influence over the church and what they were doing, but also sway and influence with the Herodians, with King Herod, and with the Romans. That's the group that we're talking about here, these Sadducees. It says in verse 23 of uh, Matthew 22 this morning, it says, The same day the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him, saying, Teacher, stop there beginning of verse 24. The Sadducees' worldview is one without a resurrection. So the question that they're asking is built on a broken foundation as well, isn't it? Yes. Even though they seem to want the teacher to teach them something, right? The first group comes and they say, listen, we know you come from God. We know that you're a good teacher. You teach godly stuff, but you don't really care about people. Broken foundation. The Sadducees come on the same day, a different group of people, and they say, listen, there's no resurrection, but we want you to teach us something. Broken foundation. Jesus is not going to build on either of those. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says uh, to the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So you guys tell me this this morning. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. So what can the resurrection teach a group of people who don't believe in the resurrection? He can teach them nothing of value. The Sadducees come to him and they say, we do not believe in the resurrection, but we want you to teach us something. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I can't teach you anything of value. <clears throat> If somebody says, I don't believe in marriage, I don't believe in commitment, I don't believe in faithfulness, I don't believe in long-term commitment and faithfulness, but I want you to teach me about relationships. I, there ain't nothing I could teach you. There ain't nothing I could say to you. I don't want to have a conversation with you about how to talk nice. I don't want to have a conversation about how to apologize. I want to talk about covenant and commitment and love. And if you have a different foundation, we don't have anything that we can really talk about. This is how the Pharisees come to him, the spiritual alchemists, and this is how the Sadducees come to him. We don't believe in resurrection, which means we don't believe you are who you say you are, yet we want to call you teacher and have you give us something. Now, what we want to do is we want to build houses out of trash and call it silver. What they want to do is discredit Jesus so they can live out the worldview that they want to live out. They want God, but they say, we want a God that is only concerned with this life and not the next. You know why we want a God who's only concerned with this life and not the, le the next? Because in our worldview, as Sadducees, we get to say we are at the top of the church and the top of society because this God in this life, the only life that matters, has chosen us to be blessed and chosen everybody else to suffer. See how easy it is to create your own kingdom? Think about that and look at the question that they actually ask him. Same day, Sadducees, <clears throat> who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asking him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. you got to picture what's happening here. <laughs> this group of Sadducees, 
They're like laughing as they're talking to Jesus. Hey, hey, teacher. <laughs> hey, this guy believes in the resurrection. Watch this, watch this. Hey, hey, teacher, we have a question for you. We, we know this guy, and he got married. He loved his wife. And you know, Moses, in the law, he says that if he passes away, somebody's got to take care of his wife, you know, can't leave the widows or the orphans, the whole religious thing. So I got a question for you, teacher. Let's say that he dies, and then his brother gets with her. And then the brother dies, and they don't have any kids. So now the third brother gets, hey, watch this, watch this. Hey, the, the, the third brother, and then the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, they were all with her, and none of them had any children. God, or not God, excuse me, teacher. Watch. Who's going to get her in heaven? <laughs> There's no resurrection. Come on, you can't answer questions like this. That's what's happening. And they want Jesus to teach them something. It sounds crazy, but how often do we do that? We make fun of the commandments God makes. We choose what we are going to do and not going to do. We say that that's old and outdated, but this one more applies more currently. It's crazy. Good thing King Jesus is King Jesus. See what he has to say. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. He takes their big question. He takes their big joke. He takes their little moment to try to shine and try to disprove him and discredit him, disprove and discredit God. And he slaps him in the face with it. He says, listen, you don't know anything about God. You don't know anything about heaven. You have no idea about the resurrection, the life to come, and you have no idea about the life that you're actually living right now. You need to shut up and sit down somewhere. That's in a different translation. (laughs) But in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, God says this, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They think they know so much and they don't know anything. They come to Jesus because they're at the top of the church and they're at the top of society. They think they know so much. They come to Jesus, who's God, who knows everything. And they say... (laughs) Let me tell you a little story about a man who had a wife and his brothers and so on and so forth. So easy for us to discredit and disprove this whole resurrection thing. God says, man, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He's like, you guys are my people. I chose you. The reason I have to go out and invite all these highways and byway Gentiles is because you guys act like this. You're spiritual alchemists. You're one foot in the church, one foot in high society. You don't understand my word. You don't understand me. And I'm going to call some people who will. Number one, building on a broken foundation. Number two, the Pharisees. Number three, the Sadducees. Number four, breaking down a broken foundation. Breaking down a broken foundation. He continues this conversation with the Sadducees in verse 31, Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, right? Think about this. He answered their question. He dealt with their whole uh, resurrection in the sense of this woman who was uh, married to these multiple brothers. But he says, hey, but concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? Somebody say read. Read. Somebody say read. Read. Somebody say keep reading. Keep reading. Jesus says, you want to know about the resurrection of the dead? Have you not read? What was spoken to you by God. I wrote it to you. God wrote it to you. That first page on here that says this Bible belongs to. Wouldn't it be amazing if you went to the store and it already had your name in it? (laughs) That's That's what Jesus is saying here to them. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Jesus says, I don't know what 
your misunderstanding because of this, this foundation you've built where there's no resurrection, where you have that leaven that's leavening your whole lump. He says, you must have left this portion out actually reading the word of God. And in the word of God, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, you may think that they are dead because they passed away and they were buried, but they are alive because God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. I don't want to hear people talk to me about seances. I don't want to hear people talk to me about, I had a dream about this, and my so-and-so talked to me about this, and, and there was a manifestation of that. No, you've created your own little alchemy, right? You have your own worldview, your own idea of spirituality, and you put this rock here and this rock there, and you look at this star here, and you look at that star there. Your spiritual alchemy, you can deal with that. What I want is the word of God where he tells me, yes, they are alive, and they are in heaven with the Father, and you will see them again. They were astonished at his teaching. He silenced everybody. Jesus is not interested in fixing the foundations that we've built. He's not interested in giving us additional information about the houses that we've built on our broken foundations. This may be a shock. Sometimes this kind of stuff is a shock to me, so I'm sure sometimes it's a shock to you. If you have a broken foundation, if you have leaven in your lump, <laughs> if you have a house that's built on that foundation, Jesus is not concerned with helping you fix that foundation. He's not concerned with adding another story to your house, remodeling it, making it more beautiful, making it nicer. What he wants to do is destroy that whole broken foundation and tear down that whole house. He's interested in breaking down a broken foundation. It's already broken. He gave us what he wanted. Just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we took our sledgehammer to it. We ripped out the pages we, we don't like, and then we kept the ones we do. We crossed out the scriptures we don't like and highlighted the ones that we do. And we built a new word, and we built a new kingdom. And he's not interested in coming and saying, okay, if this is what you want to use, let me help you use that well. No, he says, I'm going to just go ahead and destroy all that, and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Back to the way that I intended it. <laughs> and then, if you want to build on that foundation, man, I got supplies for you, I got tools for you, I got materials for you, I'll even come help you build. You know how people always want to give you advice on what you should do, but they don't want to help you build? <laughs> Jesus is not like that. If he's not helping you build, it's only because he doesn't like your foundation and your blueprints. <laughs> if you use his foundation and his blueprints, he'll show up early. When you wake up, he'll have his hard hat on already. <laughs> Jesus says, I can't, I can't help you and I can't give you more insight and more information for something that your foundation cannot support. I can't give you wisdom that you cannot comprehend or understand. I can't give you a word that you won't receive. Yes. Yet both groups came to him and said, what? Good teacher, teach me. And then we say, well, why isn't God speaking to me? Why isn't he blessing me? There's two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms. It takes more than saying your kingdom come, your will be done. You got to be built on that foundation. I want to close with this. Number one was uh, building on a broken foundation. Number two, the Pharisees. Number three, the Sadducees. Number four, breaking down a broken foundation. And finally, number five, a vision of the church. Not church, a vision of the church. People say, do you go to church? People don't say, are you the church? So number five, a vision of the church. Verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. They said, look, man, he silenced us and he silenced the Sadducees. Let's get together. Maybe our forces combined can create something that can stop this man. Verse 35, then one of them, 
A lawyer asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, Oh, I don't even want to get into it. Hold on. So they come to him with, with, the, with the worldly stuff first, right? Hey, should we pay taxes? How much should we give to Caesar? Does it belong to God? Does it belong to him? That doesn't work. So then they get spiritual. And they say, this whole resurrection idea, who does she belong to? The first brother or the seventh brother or one in between? Talk to us about deep spiritual things. <laughs> and then they come together, and this is, their, this is their big finish and finale. They say, oh, you know what? Let's get the lawyer. He knows the law. He knows how many they are. He knows about our systems and our ritual cleansing and all the things that we do to make us right with God. This is how we'll get them. Because this Jesus, I heard that he's walking around with his disciples and they're taking, uh, they're taking uh, grain and eating it when they shouldn't be eating it. They haven't even washed their hands. I heard that this Jesus has been going into sinners' houses and eating dinner with them. I heard that this Jesus, there was a woman caught in adultery, and we were supposed to stone her to death according to the law, and he said, he who's without sin cast the first stone. This dude doesn't believe in the law. This guy doesn't know the word of God. Let's get the lawyer to talk to him about the law. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. These two are the ones that allow you to fulfill all the others, every other law, every other prophetic word that has been uttered. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus wants to build everything on love. What's the foundation supposed to look like? I wonder how many of us this morning have been thinking, oh man, two kingdoms, which kingdom am I part of? Is there leaven in my foundation? What do I need to do? Where do I need to sit? How do I need to sing? When do I need to raise the hands? How do I need to give? Jesus is like, pump your brakes just a little bit. Those are commandments and those are important and there is an answer to your questions, but I just need you to love me with everything you've got. And I need you to love people with everything you've got. And if you can focus on that, all those other things will become very, very easy for you. You'll fulfill them. Amen. You'll begin to be the woman that says, gardening for other people. Oh, Lord, that's right. They've been abused and they've lost their families and they've lost their children. And we're going to go plant seeds of hope and love and joy and care and consideration and just give a hug. And yes, if I have a tool, maybe I should bring it with me. No, it's, it's the church says we need to go do women things together. No, you missed it. Love be with everything you've got in your neighbor as yourself. Gary says, I want to retire. These kids are driving me crazy. <laughs> We're talking before service. And I kind of thought he was serious. I was like, man, you can't give up. And he's like, man, I'm just messing with you. I love these kids. Oh, he gets it. Love God with everything you've got. And these kids as if they're your own. So Jesus has a vision for the church, not church. We don't have a vision where everybody ties because they've been beaten into submission. <laughs> we don't have a vision for a church where everybody reads because if they don't, we smack them in the head with the Bible when they come in. We're going to give everybody electronic Bible so we can track how many words you read this week. 
That's what the lawyers are saying. What's the great law? What do we have to do? He said, you just have to love me with everything. I want you to love me with your heart, which means get all emotional and God is so good and the tears and all that kind of stuff. He said, but I also want you to love me with your whole mind. I want you to love me in the depths of your soul, not just your emotional life, the deep places of your soul. First thing God's going to do as he tears down what we've been building as spiritual alchemists is rebuild a foundation based on love. He says, I'm going to rebuild my kingdom on love for God and love for people because that's how it was always intended to be. Last scripture, actually it's the last couple, but they're all kind of short. This is where we started when Jesus said that he was going to do this in John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Add your age to whatever that 46 was. It's taken this many years for me to build my own temple. It's taken this many years for me to build my own philosophy. It's taken this many years for me to build my version of the church and of the kingdom. I've been mixing this and mixing that, my thoughts, my emotions, my worldview, my experiences. I've made all this stuff, and it's taken this long to do it. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm about to destroy all that. I'm going to rebuild it in three days. What are you talking about? That's what they say to him. It's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days. You're going to change everything that I am, everything I think, everything emotionally that has created me to be who I am, my worldview, how I see people, how I see relationships, how I see spirituality. You're going to destroy it and rebuild it? Then it says in verse 21, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, the Bible says, now, everybody say now. Now. Say today. Today. Say right now. Say this morning. morning. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. He says, I'm going to destroy it. Rebuild it in three days. They say, how are you going to destroy something that took so long to build? Then it says that they didn't understand he was talking about his body. And then the scripture says, you are the body. You are what is going to be destroyed and broken down and done away with and rebuilt. His body, the church, not church, the church, the body of Christ. There's two kingdoms. I only want to be a part of one. I want to be a part of the body of Christ where everything else has been destroyed and removed and what he has built and what he intended it and us to be is what we are a part of. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? My people perish for lack of knowledge. Same thing that he said in Hosea. My people perish for lack of knowledge. You guys don't know anything. You think you know everything. Have you not read that God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not dead, they're alive. He's the God of the living, not the dead. And then God says the same thing to us in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Sounds familiar, that whole 3.16 thing. We did a message here once on all these 3.16s. I hope this was in it. I believe it was. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Do you not know, have you not read what was written to you, that God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And then to us, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I only want to be a part of one kingdom. We don't want to be spiritual alchemists as pastors and elders and leaders here in this church. We don't want to disciple people unto us or unto a broken leavened foundation. We want to disciple people unto Christ. We don't want you to build on broken and damaged foundations. We want you to allow them to be destroyed and rebuilt by the will of God. And it's possible because we're the body of Christ. His spirit lives in us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Let's stand. (laughs) Worship team, if you could come.